I imagine like um, other preachers around the country, um, I've been learning a lot over the last couple of months about about streaming and about making videos and things like that, things that um, they did not teach us in seminary. And I imagine a lot of us have been learning about this. One of the things I've been learning is that um, the the information that's available, um, the the people who have already been doing this and have made the, the how-to videos and the the um, instructions about, you know, what's the best camera and things like that, um, they are not preachers because because the preachers who have had uh, uh, online presences are operating at a whole different level than most of the churches in this country. So we've gone to other sources, and what I've learned is that there are basically two other categories of people who know a lot about how to make videos and put them online, and they are um, not what I would have guessed. The first one is... Um, gamers, that there are, is a whole subculture of people who, uh, play, uh, videos online of people playing games. So it's, it's like a spectator sport that I did not appreciate. Instead of having to go over to somebody's dorm room to watch them play a game, you can actually watch them online. And they make a lot of videos about how to do videoing. The other group that makes a lot of videos is, is this category of people that I did not know exist, which is, um, influencers. They are internet influencers or sometimes online influencers. And I never heard that job title, but it's obvious what they do. They try to make people change their opinion, that they they want to tell you about this new kind of makeup or this uh, different kind of uh, uh, dieting or whatever it is. Um, and they are trying to influence you. They, they are influencers. So I wasn't familiar with that terminology, but I, I kind of like it because it's so direct. Um, uh, you know, in the olden days, we, we've always had this job, but it's but it's not been so blunt about what it was they were doing. In the olden days, we had names like a marketing executive or um, uh, uh, the the advertising agencies on Madison Avenue. Um, we we had different names for it, but but the job is as old as people really, because this is something we all do. We all try to influence people. And you may say, well, I don't influence people, but think about what it is you post on social media and why you post it. You know, is it because you're trying to present a particular image of yourself? Or, or maybe a better question is, do you have a single mirror in your house? Do you have more than one mirror in your house? Because if so, you're trying to influence people. And this is a normal thing, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with it. I mean, you could probably do it wrong. Uh, you know, there, there's a way to do it in, uh, that would be wrong, but... Um, but it's not intrinsically wrong to try and influence people. So what I want to talk about today is, can you influence God? Uh, how would you influence God? Is it even possible to influence God? Uh, because, you know, this is the year 2020, and if there's ever been a year when we would want to influence God, I think this is that year. You know, if you could ever have God's help getting through a year, it probably wasn't, you know, in 1993 or or. 2007. I mean, you know, there were bad years, but this this one has uh, has uh, uh, peaked the meter in a lot of ways. So, so can you influence God? Can you get God on your side? Can, is there something you can do to get God on your side? Now, we are in a, uh, a conversation about faith because Christianity talks a lot about faith. Faith is central to what Christianity uh, sees itself uh, doing. And uh, the answer that we have is is uh, maybe uh, well, I should say maybe you can guess what. The answer to this question is, can you influence God and how would you influence God? Uh, maybe you heard somebody like me tell you the way to influence God. And what they said, you know, they were the, the late night uh, televangelist. And they said, the way you influence God is by sending me money. And if you've heard people say that, um, 
uh, I can understand you might be skeptical. In fact, that may be why you say, you know, these guys are all frauds. So um, if you're not a, if you're not a Christian um, or uh, you don't know what it is you believe about Jesus and the Bible and things like that, um, uh, you know, you might want to listen in because we're going to see what Jesus says instead of what somebody who may be conflicted, a, a preacher, what they say about how to influence God. We're going to look at what Jesus actually says. So we're we're looking at. Um, this uh, passage in uh, uh, Luke's biography of Jesus. There are four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, they're, they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be looking at the one that was written by Luke. And uh, we're looking at um, chapter um, 18, and we're going to be start starting in verse 9. So Jesus is going to tell us um, whether or not we can influence God. And it doesn't sound like that at first, because Luke, the writer, he says this. He kind of gives us a, a summation of what Jesus is about to do. He says... Jesus told this parable to certain people. So to certain people, we don't know who they were. Uh, they could have been the people that he's talking about uh, in, in the parable, or it could have been other people. So um, uh, the good thing about that is it means we can listen in, right? It, it, we can say, well, maybe that applies to me too, because because he's not specifying some particular group of people that it's aimed at. So Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute, what's that got to do with influencing God? Uh, you know, that sounds like, you know, a, a bait and switch. Are we still on the same topic? Well, that's the heading, and we'll come back to it. But let's listen to what Jesus actually says. So this is the beginning of the parable, starting in um, in verse 10. He says, two people went up to the temple to pray. Now, uh, the word pray is the, is the key word there. So they went up to the temple. The, the temple in Jerusalem back in those days was located on a hill. So you could see it from elsewhere in the city and you could see it from the surrounding countryside. You could look up and say, that's the temple. So they would say, you go up to the temple to pray. Um, and they went up to pray. And praying means to ask something. So, so uh, this is going to be a parable that teaches us about getting what we want from God. And so it is going to address the question, of whether you can influence God and how you can influence God. So so they went up to pray. They went up to ask something. We don't use the word ask that way in normal conversation, but in a religious conversation, people understand praying means to ask things from God. So so um, he, uh, he, Jesus, tells us that one of them was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if we imagine ourselves in that first audience, the first time Jesus told this parable, then we can probably already sense what's going to happen because the Pharisee is a, a, a member of a super uh, a super elite group of people. They are the religious elite of that day. the The word Pharisee literally means to be set apart or to be uh, separated out from other people. And the reason was because they really saw themselves as the elite, and, and most people saw themselves as the, as, as the elite. They were they were super rigorous about their faith, and and the, it was a rigorous. Um, uh, uh, requirements that you had to uh, fulfill in order to be part of that movement. Uh, a contemporary historian writing in the middle of the first century, so a few decades after the time of Jesus, he said that um, that there were only about 6,000 Pharisees in that whole region of, of uh, Galilee and Judea. So it was not it was not popular because it was so hard to get in, and the reason is because they were they were really were the elite. 
And we're going to hear about that. So they were the elite. And we can imagine if, if anybody can influence God, if anybody can say, God, I, I want this from you and get it, it's going to be the Pharisee. And then Jesus says the other one is the tax collector. And we know, well, absolutely. You know, if, if the Pharisee is going to, you know, if there's only one favor to be given and you've got a Pharisee on the one hand and a tax collector on the other, it's obvious the Pharisee, who is this super elite religious person, is going to get what he asks because look at the tax collector. Tax collectors were despised by everybody. They, they were um, they were collaborators with the uh, Roman government. Rome had had invaded the, the Holy Land about a century earlier, and they set up this system to take money out of it and leave that country poor. So you can imagine the you know if if all of the local economy is being drained to to fill up Rome's um, uh, uh, imperial desires back in Rome, you know that's that's not going to make people happy. But the way the system actually worked was. They put it out for bid. The, the, the system was that you bid to, 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 to get the concession in a particular area and you would collect all the tolls in a particular area and, um, uh, you, you would give them to Rome up front. And then you spent the rest of the, the period of time, a year or two years, uh, until the contract was let out again, you spent that trying to get your money back. And so you didn't just settle for, I got my money and a nice little profit. You you tried to maximize the profit yourself. And Rome looked the other way because they got the money. They got their money up front. So they were perfectly happy if you were swindling people. And that's what the tax collectors typically did. So people hated them for two reasons. Because they were collaborating with this occupying power and because they were they were swindlers. So so nobody could stand tax collectors. So you've got the religious elite on the one hand, and you've got the very worst um, of society on the other hand. Uh, we, we can see, actually, if we read the, the biographies of Jesus, that oftentimes people will say that Jesus hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. And the reason for that is that is that the sinners said, hey, don't lump us in with the tax collectors. That's how much people dislike tax collectors. So if you had to bet, if all you know is two men went up to the temple to pray, one was a Pharisee and one is a tax collector, you're going to say, well, of course, uh, the one who's going to be able to influence God is the Pharisee. So let's see what it says. It says, um, uh, verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Um, I'm set apart. I'm a Pharisee. Uh, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So he says he is he is what he what what that audience would have known him to be. He is set apart and he he is not like everyone else, the crooks and evildoers and so forth. And then he goes on and starts listing that he's not only uh, better than the 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 crooks and evildoers, he's actually better than the other Pharisees because because the Pharisees would would fast more often than the law required. The law required only one fast a year. That was the the day of atonement. But Pharisees would would fast all through the year. And he says, I fast more than them. I fast two times a week. I fast twice a week. And he says, I give a tenth of everything I receive, not just the things that the law requires. I actually go beyond that. I I give a tenth of everything everything that I receive, uh, whether it's we would say taxable, whether it's taxable or not. He says he says I give a tenth of that um, to the to the work of God through through the temple. So he says um, I am I am uh, much better off than uh, the 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 average Pharisee. So I am I am an elite among the elite. So if we had to bet, we're gonna we're gonna definitely uh, assume that it's going to be the the Pharisee, but he he kind of he kind of 
loses the plot because because he simply says that he is this great person. He um, he he doesn't say what it is he wants. He just kind of stops there. He he's kind of puffed himself up and and explained to God how wonderful he is, but that's all he says. And uh, he he um, he says, "I'm better than the other people," but that's where he stops. And if we if we're tempted to say, "Well, that guy's um, uh, not as good as he thinks he is," uh, well, you know, we have to ask ourselves. Um, you know, if we're going to judge the Pharisee, aren't we really doing the same thing the Pharisees doing? It's it's incredibly easy to judge other people. To the, 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 there's a couple of ways we do this. One of the ways we do it is we we on the other hand with God, we say, "All right, it's true, God. I, you know, that thing. You know, we're both thinking about it, God. I, I was not. I was pretty terrible, honestly. I was pretty terrible. But on the other hand, I fast twice a week. Uh, on the other hand, I do." I do good in these other areas. So we, we, we try to tell God, um, on the other hand. So, so it's easy for us to be like the Pharisee in that way to say, to say, all right, it's true. I'm not good, but on the other hand. So, so we may do that. And it's also very easy to throw other people under the bus to say, well, it's true. I'm, I'm not all who I should be. You know, I, I, I did do that terrible thing that we're both thinking about, but, but what, what you have to remember is compare me to other people. Compared to uh, other people, compared to that tax collector over there, I'm not terrible. I'm not the worst person there is, so isn't that worth something? I mean, isn't that a way we can try to influence God? So, so the Pharisee does what we can imagine ourselves doing if we're, if we're not utterly convinced that we've got a good case to make before God. We, we, on the other hand, and we, we, uh, compare ourselves to others. And, and, and that is intrinsically, um, uh, contemptuous. So to say, I'm better than that person, like the Pharisee does. I'm better than those, uh, swindlers and crooks and so forth. Um, that's, that's easy for us to do too. So we shouldn't judge him. And of course, we shouldn't judge him because then we'd be acting like him. But there's, but there's two good reasons, uh, uh, why we shouldn't do those things. Why we shouldn't, on the other hand, God, and why we shouldn't compare other people, ourselves to other people. The first one is that we just don't have enough information to do it, to do it well. We don't know enough about ourselves or about the other person. We certainly don't know enough about ourselves. We're not transparent. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans, he says, I don't know why I do the things I do. You know, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote a quarter of the New Testament. He he had actually come out of the, the Pharisee tradition himself. He knew a lot about religion, and he said, you know what, I don't even know why I do some of the things I do, because because we have... Uh, we are not transparent to ourselves. We don't always understand our own motivations. And not only that, we have blind spots. Back in chapter 11, Jesus talked about the Pharisees and he said the reason that they tithe the, the, they tithe dill and mint, he says they tithe things even down to the, to, to the uh, most exacting detail like this guy. He says the reason they do that is because that's easy. They ignore the, the heavier requirements of the law. He says that, that they don't see how they're, they're violating the other, um, 
aspects of the law. So, so we have blind spots and, uh, we're not transparent to ourselves. So, so we don't really even understand ourselves well. And we certainly aren't transparent to other people. So, so when we look at other people and think we understand them, uh, we're making a mistake. Psychologists call it the, the fundamental attribute error. That if I look at the, the tax collector, he's over there at his toll booth. He's collecting people, you know, money from people as they go from one village to another or when they bring their fishing boat in. He's collecting a toll. And I say, I know what that guy's all about. He's a big swindler. And it, it repulses me to see him actually come up here to the temple to pray. I've seen him all week long. He's not a good person. And psychologists call that the fundamental attribute error. It means we boil people down to the, the thing we see, the, the fundamental attribute, the, the most obvious characteristic. We've made them into a two-dimensional cutout, and we say, I know everything there is to know about that person. But, of course, people are three dimensions. We're, we're, we're not two-dimensional. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the reason he came to the temple that day isn't because he's a big hypocrite. Maybe the reason he came to the temple that day is because he overheard his wife talking to his son. And his wife was saying, the reason that daddy drinks so much is because he hates his job. Maybe that's why he's at the temple. Not because he's a hypocrite, but because he feels trapped. Maybe the reason he's at the temple is because he is drowning in debt. And in the first century, in that culture, if if you if you uh, uh, couldn't pay your debts, there was no bankruptcy. You you couldn't simply write it all off and say too bad. They could actually take everything you had, and then they could take your family. They could actually take your spouse and your children as slaves in order to pay off the debt. And maybe the reason that he's swindling people at the tax booth is because is because. He's got reasons that you don't see. And so that's the reason uh, that, that we don't, that, that it's a bad idea to judge other people because we're not transparent to ourselves and certainly other people. We don't know all the reasons they do the things they do. So that's one reason is that we just don't have enough information. The other reason is that Jesus tells us not to. Back in chapter six, he said, judge not uh, so that you will not be judged. He says, condemn other people not because you too will be condemned. He says, instead, be generous. Look at people generously. Uh, give to them, um, and it will be given back to you. So Jesus tells us don't judge. And in chapter 10, he tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. He says to cut our neighbor the same slack we cut ourselves, to to say about our neighbor the same things we say about ourselves. It's on the other hand to to say that about our neighbor and not just ourselves. So Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Apostle Paul, in a passage many of us have heard in weddings, he says, love uh, believes all things, love um, hopes all things, love bears all things. Love endures all things. He says, love, if we actually do love our neighbor, we are able to, to see beyond their, their flaws and failings. And that's why people quote it at weddings. But it's true of any kind of love of neighbor. So it's a bad idea because we don't have enough information and it's a bad idea because Jesus tells us don't, to, don't do it. So the Pharisee is doing, um, uh, things that if we've been paying attention to Jesus so far through this biography, we know it is, is a bad idea. But if the Pharisee can't influence God, if even his attempts to influence God aren't going to work, what hope is there for the tax collector? I mean, he may be pitiable, but is God going to give him what he wants? Well, let's see what he wants. It says the tax collector stood at a distance, 
And he wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. So in that culture, people would pray looking up with their hands up. And he didn't do that. He wouldn't even lift his eyes, much less his hands. And it says, instead, he struck his chest. He said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. So he's saying, I am a sinner. And all he says is, show mercy to me. So who's going to influence God? Who knows the best way to influence God? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. This tax collector, the the long shot candidate, went down to his home justified, not the Pharisee. He didn't just receive mercy. Jesus tells us he was justified. The psalmist uh, in, in Psalm 51, he says, he says in, in this prayer to God, he says, have mercy on me, O God, blot out all my sins, forgive my sins. He says, show me mercy. But then he says, he says, renew a right spirit within me. He asks to be made new. And that's what Jesus says happens, that he is actually justified. He's declared to be righteous in God's sight. So he's not only receiving mercy, he's getting more than he asked for. He's getting, he's getting justified. So he gets, he gets more than he asked for without trying to influence God at all, without doing a single thing to influence God. He gets not only what he asked for, he gets more. What about the Pharisee? Well, the Pharisee didn't really ask for anything. And he gets nothing. He goes back to his home not justified. And Jesus sums it up by saying, all those who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So Jesus says that we don't need to try and influence God. And we don't. We we, we don't need to influence God because God already knows us. God knows our flaws, and he knows our virtues. He knows them better than we do. He knows our excuses. He knows all of our excuses, including ones we haven't thought of yet. God knows us, and and in the face of that tremendous knowledge of us, God loves us, and he is already inclined to give us more than we ask for. So we don't need to influence God. So what should we pray for? If, if, we, if we go to the temple or to church or if we just uh, go to our knees in prayer, what should we ask for? Well, we should follow the example of the tax collector. We should begin by praying about ourselves. We should say, God, you know, if, if we're aware of, of sin, if we're aware of our failings, we should certainly confess those before God. But if we aren't, we should ask God to help us to see ourselves the way he sees us, to see those flaws, to see the failings, and to help us address them. So we can ask for that first, and then we can ask the same thing for other people. Instead of instead of trying to compare ourselves and say, well, at least I'm better than that person, instead we can say, God, help me to see that other person the way you do. Help me to see their strengths. Help me to see um, them as more than just that fundamental attribute, more than just that two-dimensional uh, uh, picture in my mind. Help me to see them the way you do and help me to love them the way you do. That's what our prayers should be like. And imagine what your influence would be like if that's what you did. Imagine if instead of trying to impress people with what you've done, instead you tried to impress other people with what other people had done. If you always were, if the reputation you had was you were the one who gave other people slack, who, who saw possibilities in people when, when other, when others were ready to, to, to cut them loose. Imagine if you were the, the last person 
to be convinced it was time to, to, to move on from somebody or to give up on somebody. Imagine the influence you could have if people saw you that way. And imagine what kind of influence the church would have if that's the way people saw us, if that's the way people saw Christians, if they saw us as, as not as people who, who hated sinners, but as people who were the last to give up on sinners, that everybody else had long since moved on. But we're the ones saying, you know what? I think that there's, there's more. You know, I've been praying about this person and God has helped me to see. And I think that we need to give them one more chance. I think we need to, to, to make some allowances here because, because I, I think that they are better than they even may realize themselves. And so imagine the influence the church could have if that was our reputation. Imagine the influence you would have if that was your reputation. We don't need to influence God. God already knows us and he loves us and he will give us more than we ask for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that you love us, that you see all of our flaws and you have not given up on us, that that you know our excuses, you know how weak they are, you know ones we don't even know. But what you also know is your love and you know you know how much you love us and you know who you will make us into if we trust in you. Lord, help us to continue to trust in you and help us to pray like the tax collector, to to ask you to to see our own flaws and, and failings and ask you to address them. Help us to see other people the way you see them too, to see their possibilities and their potential. We pray all these things in the name of the one who looked at us and gave us more than we could ask for. He gave us our salvation and our hope. Lord, we pray all these things in his name. Amen.